This is Christopher A. Paniotu of Lucia Capital Group, and this is Capitalize, the show representing a select group of intelligent investors seeking to potentially maximize every money move. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek logical ways of likely creating advantages to maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you renowned financial industry minds, and we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are capitalizers, and this is our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Capitalize. And today we have a special guest, Michael Odessis. Michael is Chief Investment Strategist of Compendium Finance, advisor to mobile financial planning software company, Plenty, adjunct associate professor and visiting faculty in the Environment and Sustainability Division in Finance Department at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and a research associate of the EDHEC Risk Institute. It does not stop there, people. He has taught university courses in carbon emissions trading, cryptocurrency, energy, environmental economics, international finance, mathematics, probability, and statistics at seven universities, and has been interviewed on radio, TV, written articles for the Wall Street Journal, Advisor Perspectives, South China Morning Post, Institutional Investor, the Journal of Portfolio Management, and other publications. To top all of this off, it is an absolute trip and a half interviewing Michael as he is living in the future and I'm living in the past due to the time difference. Welcome to Capitalize, Michael. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure. Hopefully I didn't talk you up too much. I, I got I, I to say that is an award-winning introduction and it is a testament to everything that you have done for our industry. And I'm very excited to have you on the show as well as our uh, <clears throat> as well as our consumers. Let's just I'm dive tempted, uh, I'm tempted to use a wonderful line that was uh, used by Alan Simpson, the former senator. After being introduced, he would come up and uh, to the roster, uh, rostrum and, uh, and he would say, of all the introductions I have ever had, that was the most recent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Well, and I, I will tell you right now, you have earned every single ounce of that introduction. We're all going to hear about that as we go through the show. And, and if we may, let's just get right into it, because one of the things that I want to dive into is a little thing called rebalancing risk. You've written a number of articles on it. It's going to be something really valuable for us to talk about. It's going to be a great starting point. So you've spoken about how rebalancing is not necessarily the best idea since sliced bread, although contrary to our industry's belief, people may think so, but you've also spoken on pros and cons on buy and hold investing. Can you take a deeper dive into your rationale behind your reasoning? Well, the, uh, there seems to be a belief that there's uh, a mathematical uh, reason why you will get better results if you rebalance, but there isn't anything like that. There have been lots of articles written on it with a lot of mathematics in them, but they, they don't really, uh, although they, they, they sound like they imply that the mathematics has, uh, uh, has shown that rebalancing gives you a superior result. It, it doesn't show that. And they don't even, they don't even say that definitively because they can't because the math doesn't show that. So it's not, uh, and uh, people have another reason why they think rebalancing uh, is uh, going to improve your return. 
And it's because of their confusion of the past and the future. They think that because the price just came down, uh, which means that the uh, asset that you have uh, uh, on which the price came down has um, uh, a smaller portion of your portfolio, rebalancing would say, well, then buy more of it. And because they confuse the past from the future, they think it's going to go back up because, you know, what goes up must come down, what goes down must come up, come up. But it's not true of prices. It's just not true. It's true of balls thrown up in the air, but it's not true of prices. So uh, this, this reason for rebalancing doesn't, uh, doesn't work. So it's not, it's not so much that, that there's something bad about rebalancing and uh, uh, buy and hold being simpler in many cases has that advantage. Um, it tends to give you a higher, uh, re not rebalancing, uh, does tend to give you a higher return over time. Although with a, in a certain sense with uh, a higher level of risk, although not necessarily. So it's, you know, it, it's, it depends on the situation. And, and to, to, to say that, that you have to rebalance is, is, is just wrong. Sure. And, and, and also being definitive in general, in, in not only finance, but I think in, in every aspect of life, that, that pigeonholes you and takes a lot of success, possible success off the table. Now, explaining a little further on that, um, what would you say is one of, if not the most prudent strategy when it comes to investing in, say, stocks, if systematic rebalancing is not necessarily the best answer? Uh, buy a, a total market index fund and uh, uh, look at it uh, 30 years later. If you're saving for retirement and you're like 35, let's say, uh, buy a total market index fund, international, and don't don't look at the price, don't look at the indexes, uh, sell it when you need the money. 30 through 60 years later. And when it comes to passive investing versus active investing. Because you've actually spoken directly and indirectly on, on both sides of the aisle. Um, and there have been a number of articles out there that have said it's sometimes an and, it's sometimes one or the other, either or. Diving further into that, would you say the passive investing is more, uh, it would lead to more success for the average investor because of the set it and forget it mentality? And it takes some of the emotion out? Or do you think also that there could be some some deeper diving with kind of how the world is today? Because passive investing has taken off massively over the last decade. It's better for one and only one reason, lower cost, lower management cost. Okay. And that makes sense. That makes total sense. And, and speaking of stocks, so people ask me, all the time, are stocks risky? And traditionally, investors have been educated on stocks being risky investments due to you look every single day uh, on, on the market, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down over time. Whether it's passive or active, I think everyone can in agree on that. You wrote back in 2014 on this topic specifically, and take us 
on the journey in, in your opinion as to how you came about this? And then in your opinion, how risky are stocks? Well, first of all, risk is not the same as <clears throat> ups and downs. The, the, uh, the analogy that <clears throat> is uh, uh, <clears throat> obvious is to flying in an airplane. Uh, turbulence bounces you up and down, but it's not the same as the risk of crashing. Uh, there, there may be a relationship, but it's just not the same thing. And ups and downs are something, uh, are, are what stock prices will do. And they do that because there is this um, uh, very um, uh, active secondary market in stocks, which means that, that somebody is putting a value on the stock every instant. And the value they put on the stock depends on their, or not, not you know, on, on, on a kind of a consensus uh, uh, guess at how well that company is going to do in the future. And that changes depending on something that appears in the newspaper or something that, uh, that, that um, happens in the, in the economy or in the total market. But if you didn't have that constant signal, for example, if you own a house, you don't have a second by second uh, uh, estimate of what that house is, is worth which and it's a good thing because w would you then start worrying about the risk of the fluctuating value of your house that, that would be pretty silly mm -hmm. so the same thing really ought to apply to owning uh stocks uh, if if what you think is risk is the fact that 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 the current valuation in the stock market goes up and down um it's it's risky to that extent if what you think is risk is whether you'll have enough in 30 years well it's still risky every investment is risky stocks are in principle more risky than bonds so in 30 years you're likely to have at least what you invested in the first place then if you invest in stocks, although that's actually not even true if you look at the historical data, because the, the, neither stocks nor bonds over 30-year periods, except in extremely rare cases of uh, you know, some individual country uh, stock market, uh, they, they never went down after 30 years. So we wanted to make, make some money in 30 years. Yes. And uh, the, the, the chances that if you if you buy a, a global stock market index, um, so you're not at the mercy of whatever happens in any one particular country, which could get taken over by a revolution. This could happen in the United States. I mean, I've never felt that that was uh, as 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 possible uh, before as as I, I feel like it is now. But it, it almost was. I was there in 1968. And it felt possible then, but it feels even more possible now. Sure. But still, sure. It's, it's very unlikely, very unlikely. Sure, sure. And I, I, for those of you that are, are listening on the podcast, you couldn't see it. As Michael was referring to the house analogy, uh, for those of you that are clients of mine, you've heard that saying a, a number of times, just because your home goes up in value the next day doesn't mean you're just going to move out, right? Same thing with the market. 
risk is something that I get really fired up about. Um, also, I'm a nerd, so that's the type of stuff I get fired up about. So education on risk. What would you say, Michael, is the best way to re-educate everyday investors on what risk really means? Um, you know, the, the, the trouble is I just kind of automatically kick in. Like, we all know that two plus two equals four, okay? So if we meet somebody, we assume that, you know, they, that they assume, just like we assume, that two plus two equals four. Sure. That's sure. because we're so immersed in it. Well, I've been so immersed in probability theory that, uh, that that's, that's what comes to mind for me immediately. And I, I tend to assume everybody knows what I mean by probabilities. But... I don't think everybody quite know, grasp, thinks about it in the same way I do. Um, but that's the way. I mean, I would try to educate somebody about probabilities. And you can do that by looking at the past or by looking at, uh, you know, a number of things. But basically, you can construct easily a, a, a rough probability distribution of what's going to happen in let's say 30 years. I mean, if that's your, if that's your investment horizon. And um, the, the, the possibility that one of those unlikely events uh, at the extreme worst case uh, is going to happen, that's, that's, that's risk. Uh, that, that's the way I would think about it. But I, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't uh, have uh, uh, individual um, uh, financial advice clients. I've advised two or three people without charging um, on uh, financial advice, but let me, let, I don't know how to say this, but they were, they were of the genius category. I mean, they, they, they weren't, you know, I didn't have to. Sure. I could just. You know, I, I didn't have to uh, find a way. They already knew what two plus two and, equals four. They already knew that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. You know, I didn't. It's it. And so the um, what I'm saying is, I don't really know how to do that. That's that's something that sure. you're going to be in a better position to do to explain this to people because you'll you'll be able to find out what they what they grasp what they you say things, I and mean, this is also kind of a, a, a sales procedure. You say something, and people don't get it, and so you right. think, "Okay, I got to, I got to think of another way of saying that." Right. Uh, and right. I, I'm, I'm probably not uh, the best person to do that because I don't have that experience. Sure. And hey, a for honesty, we love that, and and I always like asking about risk because that's been a. a theme and a quest of mine personally to find for a number of people because risk is one of those things that uh, when you and I previously uh, spoke and, and met for the first time, we had a conversation on risk. And one of the topics was, and, and I believe I brought it up, where I remember talking to in, in previous lives with larger firms and all of that, the whole concept of risk was totally backwards in my mind, but then translating it to everyday people in a planning sense, 
it's very, very complex and difficult. And we've tried to simplify it as much as possible, but there's always something out there that we could find better as a profession. And so I wanted to pick your brain at that. Um, but it is pretty hard if the couple of people that you're working on are absolute geniuses, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did want to ask you uh, kind of on the, more on the- yeah, I, I do, I do want to say though about risk right. that it, it, I think it has been uh, dreadfully oversimplified by substituting the word volatility for risk. Yes. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, that's not right, yeah. Okay. No. No, 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 no. And, and the closest that I've seen is uh, when I interviewed Dr. Blanchett uh, from Morningstar on, on risk, and he spoke about it much more in a planning sense on if your goals are actually going to be matched uh, based on the actual plan, investments, yeah. annuitization. Yeah, what's, what's the probability that your goals, your right. goals won't be met? That's risk. Yeah. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> but in, in, in regarding uh, benchmarking, and, and mm -hmm. this is another one that I get kind of fired up about. So speaking strictly in regards to investing, you've written about benchmarking and, and, and I agree with you. It's not necessarily the best use to compare how someone's portfolio has done from an investment standpoint and actually from a planning standpoint as well. Could you explain your rationale behind that? Because I, I absolutely love it. You love what? Benchmarking? What? Your rationale behind the fact that benchmarking, is it worth it? Is it not? I know you wrote a couple of years ago an article through advisor perspectives mm. on, on mm. benchmarking. Um, mm. And it, it opened my eyes to uh, a number of different things, not only directly in investing, but then it got my wheels turning in the planning front. Hmm. I, I don't remember uh, uh, what I said in that article, but, but it, it doesn't matter. The, well, first of all, I, I think benchmarking is, is senseless uh, uh, for for several reasons. Uh, one is that uh, one is that performance measurement is senseless because it's it's past, okay. And in in um, in the the uh, in investing past return, the SEC has required. Uh, investment companies to put this on their on all their advertising uh, past performance is no guarantee I'm not sure what the wording past is. performance does not guarantee future results right okay but that's not I mean that's right but it's not the whole truth sure. the whole truth is past performance tells you absolutely nothing about future mm -hmm. performance so why measure it why why look at it? It doesn't matter. It, it, all that matters for you is what happens in the future. So it, it, it's, it's ridiculous to look at the past performance of funds, of stocks, of anything. And, and it's doubly ridiculous to look at it by benchmarking against something else. And there's, there's something worse about benchmarking. What it's done is it has made what's called closet indexers out of a lot of active managers because they they can't if they get close enough to the benchmark even though even if they underperform it a little which they mostly do because of their fees um then they might not get fired right. so they they don't for them risk is a very different thing from what it is for 
their investors. For the investment manager, risk is that they get fired as an investment manager. And to avoid that, they try, and because there's this, there's this rage about uh, comparing to benchmarks, they have to try to make sure they don't underperform the benchmark by too much. So they don't want the risk of underperforming the benchmark by too much. The way to avoid that risk is just buy the benchmark. Right, right. So In the, the so article they I made, was referring to was the price all investors pay for benchmarking in 2014. Right, I sort of remember that, but I don't remember what I said. Was it this? I think it was probably this. That it, it is. Tends to, it, it is. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which and, and that's why I'm smiling because that is exactly what I think people needed to hear at at home. Um, and you absolutely, you absolutely nailed it on that. And benchmarking in diversification, they kind of go hand in hand in, in a way. And mm -hmm. uh, I will not ask you what you wrote back in 2017 uh, verbatim, but you wrote an article, an incredible article, The Myths and Fallacies About Diversified Portfolios. And in it, you unpacked a ton of information that many people may not want to hear, but it's really good for them to hear. Does mm -hmm. it make sense to diversify? And if so, how much? Uh, yeah, okay. Yes, it makes sense to diversify, but you don't have to, to, to get... Uh, become a fanatic about it. So, but the thing is, it's, it, it's easy. Actually, it's easiest to get the maximum of diversification in these uh, total market index funds that you can't diversify any more than that. And they're, and it's, they're cheap. So why not? Uh, but there's, that has resulted in yet another obsession, and that is tracking error. Um, so the, the, a lot of these uh, funds try to minimize their tracking error to the index as if there was something good about that. And that, I think, uh, it gets a little ridiculous. Um, a diversified portfolio is, you know, if you have 50, 100 stocks in it, that's, that's going to be quite well diversified. But as I say, the easiest way to do it is to just buy an index fund, total market index fund, gives you maximum diversification, lowest cost. Uh, why not? The, uh, the article that you're talking about, is, I, I, I remember that somewhat. There were, the, the, because uh, uh, there was such, such abundant evidence that uh, portfolio managers uh, underperform, that they, they actually don't do very well. And that goes, by the way, people won't believe this, but uh, uh, recent evidence has very clearly shown that even the managers at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, of their own endowment funds do worse than these, this total market index fund. So they spend a lot of money hiring managers. They pay them too much. That's the problem. And they wind up doing worse than they would have if they hired nobody, spent almost nothing, and just put all the money in a total market index fund. And this is in spite of all the supposed sophistication, 
and knowledge and genius that they have at their fingertips in the university and the finance departments, Nobel Prize winners, doesn't help a bit. Sure. Because, because uh, well, uh, without going into the, okay, so, uh, the, so in that article, I think I said that uh, because of this underperformance, uh, instead of focusing on beating the market, they tried to make the holy grail diversification. Sure. And so they, they come up with all these different uh, fancy measures of diversification. And in a couple of uh, instances, uh, they do some kind of, kind of nice little, not advanced mathematics, but, but nice little mathematical uh, uh, derivations. But they don't help you invest. Sure. <laughs> That's the problem. They're, they're, they're cute little mathematical problems, fun, you know, when I was in high school, I would have had fun uh, looking at that and saying, hmm, that's, an inter that's a neat result for yes. college maybe. Yeah. But, uh, but it, doesn't help, it doesn't help with investments. You're right. And for the average investor, that's absolutely true. We're unfortunately out of time for this part of the interview. So we're going to stop here and continue on part two, which will be our next episode. I want to talk to Michael Odessis about his take on investors who have done fairly well against benchmarks, in particular, the S&P 500. People like Warren Buffett, investors who have taken active investing and had some success with it. We'll get into that and a bunch of other stuff with my wonderful guest, Michael Odessis, Chief Investment Strategist of Compendium Finance. Can't wait to hear more. In the meantime, if you've got any questions about this interview or questions regarding financial planning, maybe you need some help or guidance with your own situation. Just give me a call at Lucia Capital Group, 253-214-7844. That's 253-214-7844. Until next time, I'm Christopher A. Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize, and this is Capitalize, the podcast for the intelligent investor. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice, and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material concerns tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy, including the investments purchased and or investment strategies devised by LCG, will either be suitable or profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the presentation or any component thereof serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from LCG or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based upon publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. S&P 500 Index is an unmanaged index and includes a representative sample of large-cap U.S. companies in leading industries. An investment may not be made directly in an index. The information contained herein does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. Investment products described herein may not be offered for sale in any state or jurisdiction in which such an offer Solicitation or sale would be unlawful or prohibited by the specific offering documentation. An index fund is a portfolio of stocks or bonds designed to mimic the composition and performance of a financial market index. Index funds follow a passive investment strategy. Index funds seek to match the risk and return of the market. Before investing, carefully consider an index mutual fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. 
To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk, interest rate risk, bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall, financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Diversification strategies do not ensure a profit and cannot protect against losses in a declining market. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital Group, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Michael Adessis is not affiliated with Lucia Capital Group or LPL Financial.